What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Run Happy Podcast. I'm Baxter Friedman. And I'm Charlie Rook, and this is a podcast for people that want to improve themselves as runners as well as people, and always run happy. Let's get into it. Welcome to the sixth episode of the Run Happy Podcast. Today, we are really excited to talk to this big mileage junkie and host of the For the Long Run podcast, Jonathan Levitt. How are you doing today, man? I am doing well. Uh, my legs are tired because of the mileage junkiness of uh, <laughs> this past weekend. Yeah. Well, what did you do this past weekend? Um, I did something called the Skyline Traverse out here in Boulder. It's hitting all five peaks of the skyline. Um, so it's 6,000 feet of gain. It ended up being like 19 miles and took six and almost six and a half hours. So oh, it's a long, long day and then 10 and a half miles on trail the next day. So nice eight hour weekend. <laughs> My goodness, that is crazy. How many, how many miles a week are you um, kind of running right now? Uh, I'm like 50 to 60 normally. Okay, right. So this was a bit of a bit of a longer weekend? Yeah, just duration wise, it was a bit of a longer weekend, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, mm-hmm. Um, well, so I guess we'll just jump into one of the questions, but I get well, I don't know about that. But all right, so um just tell us a little bit about your background and the experiences that you've had as a runner. Yeah, so I got into running um after the 2013 Boston Marathon. Um I was watching it and I was watching it from Wellesley and I was a cocky 23 year old at the time. And I was like, look at all these people. If they can do it, I can do it. I was right. <laughs> but, but it was like, you know, all these different shapes and sizes and ages and men and women, et cetera. And I was just watching these people at 13 miles of a marathon and I was like, that's so cool. I'd never run more than seven miles at the time. And then the bombing happened. And the next day I went out and ran my first half marathon. Um, I also got my first stress fracture um, because I was running it in toe shoes. I don't know if you guys remember those. Oh, yeah. Might oh, might yeah. be before your time. I guess not. I used to have a pair. Uh, they were great. <laughs> rest in peace. Pieces. Yeah. And when I came back from that injury, I was like, okay, that, that was cool. Like I got to get into this. And so I got into running through a group called November project. It was in Boston. It turned into like everyone doing four workouts a week. Nobody really knew how to like properly train. Um, and then I found marathoning and, um, ultimately moved to Boulder and it's been a, um, I fell off the deep end quickly and, um, the deep end keeps getting deeper and like my circle of friends here runs hundred mile races and, um, you know, they do marathons in training and it's just like, it's a wild world out there. And I, I like to interact with it through running and like use running as a vehicle to like be better at other aspects of life. Yeah, absolutely. I think running definitely gives you that like a hundred percent. I know, Sometimes I know sometimes I think of it as just a good way to discipline yourself and just keep your life choices like the right way. I don't know if that applies uh, to you as well, 
but yeah so is that kind of what stuck out to you about running when you like the more you got into it and you were kind of like oh i'd actually quite like to stick with this so i think i know what you're alluding to but when i got into running i was doing it through november project and we would just like party really hard and just like stay out till not not late but like party hard and then wake up at 5 30 and go to the workout and so no it wasn't like keeping me from making unhealthy choices um i i don't know how i sustained that for like a couple of years but um at this point it does a little bit more so yeah i guess so yeah cool uh well i mean you are also like I mean, you're a part of Inside Tracker, so that does help with nutrition and everything. Or that can you explain to me what that is? Yeah. And like I guess how that uh, helps with running. Yeah. So Inside Tracker is all about helping people live healthier longer. So understanding the best tweaks or changes to make to your routine. We sort of grew up in running. That was my background when I joined the company, um, and we worked with a lot of professional trail runners and and marathoners and track athletes um, who need what we offer, which is a blood test to help give personalized guidance. So you are a runner, you should be treated as such versus you're a human uh, with normal zones. So I think most runners should be, you know, doing blood tests a couple of times a year and making changes based on based on that. But most humans should be doing that a couple of times a year. Um, but particularly for runners with things like iron or vitamin D, these have a huge influence on how we feel, how we sleep, how we recover and perform. And that collection of data paired with Inside Tracker's personalized approach to eat this food twice a week, take a supplement in this dosage, et cetera, um, has been really helpful for me over the years, for sure. So by doing this, have you kind of learned like universal supplements that runners should be taking or is it really individualized for each specific person? Yeah, it's definitely, there are definitely commonalities. Like iron is a common one for women um, and for, and men who run high mileage, but even still, just because you're a woman who runs doesn't mean you should take iron because you have symptoms of fatigue because the symptoms related to high iron are the same as low iron and having high iron can be toxic. So you don't want to just like take an iron supplement if you're tired because you could in fact be effectively like poisoning yourself or giving yourself iron toxicity or overload. Um, vitamin D is another common one. That one, the risk of overdoing it is wasting 10 cents versus like making your organs toxic vitamin d is a fat soluble nutrient so you just like pee it out if you have excess whereas that's not the case with iron um magnesium is another common one yeah those are definitely the the three most common well so like how um i guess rather than taking pills what were what would be some of the ways that you could get those like extra like extra vitamin d or iron or magnesium yeah so vitamin d um again if you're low below a certain point a supplement is going to be the only way to boost it up. Same same thing with vitamin D outside of with iron outside of red meat. Um, other things that can support vitamin D, sunshine, um, as well as uh, fortified cereals or milk products. 
So like a lot of almond milk has some amount of vitamin D just because it does, but that's added in. And then magnesium, dark leafy greens, dark chocolate, things like that, that generally should be a part or could be a good part of a, of a good diet um, that supports that. But yeah, just, it's always useful to, to do a, to do a test, but um, can never go wrong eating more dark leafy greens or dark chocolate. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think we forget about that sometimes. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna start eating more dark chocolate now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Dark chocolate is definitely a good one. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. yes. But uh, so it sounds like you've uh, you've learned an awful lot about nutrition. Is that something you have learned just in the past couple of years joining this company? Did you study that in college? When did that? What? When did you kind of learn all of this information about nutrition and stuff like that? Yeah, definitely learned it over the years. Um, I went to college for sport management and marketing. Um, so definitely not on the nutrition side of things or biochemistry side of things. I don't know how I passed my chem 101 class, to be honest. Um, yeah, I'm just surrounded by dietitians and I'm, I like to ask questions and learn from them. And like, even this past weekend, I was talking with a friend and I sent her what I, what I took in over that six hour run. And she was like, you could have added some protein. Um, so like eight to 10 grams of protein after four hours of running is helpful. And I say running like in air quotes, like my Garmin told me I was running for like 250 of the six hours. So like a lot of hiking. Yeah. Um, but still like the run time was over six hours. So I was moving, you know, between 6am and noon. Um, and she was like, you should have taken in some protein after, you know, four hours. So yeah, always, always learning. That's awesome. And um, well, so did, I guess, how did she figure out that you needed more protein afterwards? Is that just a common thing? Or is that like, did you do a blood test like right after that? No. So that was just, I sent her like the a screenshot of the, the products that I took in during, mm-hmm. uh, during that. And it was like five packets of scratch gummies, two Morton gels and two electrolyte um, packets. And she was like, okay, none of that had any protein in it. Should have added some protein. Well, yeah, that's really cool. I think that's, yeah, I definitely, I think I struggle with remembering what to take after a run sometimes, 100%. Mm-hmm. especially after a long run or something like that. It's, my coach told me yeah. I visibly looked dehydrated the other day when I finished the long run. So uh, remembering, no. to, <laughs> remembering to get that in before is for sure important. Um, I feel like we're on the, we're on the topic of recovery a little bit. I wanted to ask, are there any things you do specifically to recover after your long runs? Anything you like to do? Like, on a saunas, cold plunge, uh, stuff like that. Anything extra? Yeah. So just to clarify, the that protein comment she meant take it during the run. Um, because oh, right. Of, okay. Yeah, yeah. A run okay. that that long, like you would have normally eaten a meal in that period, and so you're starting to experience some breakdown that would help be offset by some protein before you stop moving. Um, in addition to after moving like but these are the things you don't think about if you don't <laughs> frequently yeah. run more than four hours which i don't so yeah in terms of recovery sleep is definitely my number one i aim to get eight hours every night um i pretty much average like eight hours on a regular basis i am a huge hyperice fan they just came out with the the normatec go which are calf sleeves so you can like walk around wearing them and they're half the price of the recovery boots. Um, so those are those are pretty awesome. Um, I use the sauna three or four times a week. I don't 
like the cold plunge, so I don't do it. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a lot of uh, conflicting research on cold plunge for endurance athletes. It can detract from recovery. But if you're like, let's say you have two races in a weekend, you're doing cross country or something or track, um, it can speed up. It can speed up recovery while compromising the adaptation. So you can, you're more prepared for the second bout of intense exercise, but you're, you're not benefiting from that first round just as much. But if you're in competition, you're looking to be primed and ready to go versus like adapting from the first stimulus so yeah i don't use it i don't think it's fun um i know a lot of people really enjoy it uh, i really enjoy the sauna so that's where i spend my time and there's a ton of um health benefits and performance and recovery benefits from from sauna use and it's very well studied and has no conflicting research versus cold which does hmm. well that's that's interesting i uh i have heard like it's been getting around the grapevine uh in our like i guess uh on our team around here that like cold plunges might not be the best thing for us there's some people that have that are like well this works for me i feel fine doing it and they're they're gonna stick with it which is like you know that's obviously fine like if it works for you it works for you but uh yeah like i what i've started to do because like i used to do it um after every workout last year and this year i'm doing it where um like before before a race i will do it just to make sure i get that extra like recovery even though the like like you said like the adaptations of that last workout might not have completely set in but like i I won't do it as often as i used to now so yeah yeah. i think it's about finding a balance right like i know we do it on recovery days a lot because we're trying because the the adaptation of the recovery run doesn't matter as much as a workout or something like that um you mentioned a lot of benefits to the sauna and i know i am a little uh lack of knowledge to um the sort of recovery the sauna does i do like doing it but i've never known what the benefits are can you take us through a couple of a couple of those yeah so from a health standpoint there's a ton of research related to reduced cardiovascular disease risk reduced alzheimer's risk just from like regular like four three to four times a week on the cardiovascular side of things, the more you use it to a point, like not more than five times a week, like more meaning four versus two is better again to a point, but it's like a really intense stimulus. So you don't want to overload the stress um, from a recovery and performance standpoint. Um, it in- increases blood plasma volume and I won't pretend to know exactly what that means, but that basically enhances your ability to get oxygen from your working muscles. And, and so the more that that's happening, the better. So you can, you can see a benefit or an improved experience at altitude or in hot conditions. Um, in addition to the, the good sweat that you get that helps facilitate recovery, Google heat shock proteins and, that's the, I don't know how to explain it, but that's the like mechanism um, related to recovery. Yeah, I know just enough to be dangerous and like be very wrong with like some of these words. So that's basically where my my knowledge ends. It. I know it's good for you. I know it feels great. And I know it's well-researched. And to me, like those are the boxes I'm looking to check 
And the placebo effect is also like a really powerful tool. So if it if something feels good, like your your teammates who use the cold plunge, if it makes them feel good, it's working, right? Yeah. And and if they don't do it before a race, they'll probably think that they're not going to feel or perform as well. So you remove uh, a placebo effect in theory, and you're getting a negative output. So just keep doing it. Yeah, <laughs> if it feels good. I mean, yeah, I mean that's uh that makes sense. And I guess I never really thought about it like that. But yeah, if it's like if it feels good on you and you've got that mentality, like your brain. I mean that that is a very real thing. Um, yeah. But okay, so I guess moving like past like the recovery and stuff like that. Um, and like I, I guess uh, you were talking a little bit about it on your trail running, but like I mean hydration is extremely important and for like the type of miles that we we do and that you do uh what would you say like would be like or what have you learned for, about it and you know what what would you recommend for other people yeah so i got a sweat test done um if you have the potential to do that um i, I know precision hydration does it uh, i did mine through scratch scratch labs um and a lot of uh schools and teams have the ability to do that because everyone has it so a sweat test looks at the composition of sweat and you can also look at sweat rate so sweat test looks at the amount of sodium in your sweat and the average is like something like the the number is like 700 and mine was almost 1400 so it's twice what normal is so i started adding more salt and more salt products to my hydration program and it enhances my ability to run in hot weather right i'm in boulder and i've had i ran a workout last week it was 88 degrees and i just like didn't feel bothered by it um again i use a sauna four times three or four times a week and i hydrate appropriately so it's just like yeah it felt warm but it wasn't unbearable and i ran for 70 minutes and anything longer than that would have been like I would have been toast, but I would have hydrated during and I would have been, you know, I would have felt better 70 minutes in had I been hydrating all the way through. But that's basically like the limit of what I can do in the heat without taking in anything. Actually, I did stop at water fountains because it was it was warm. Um, so I'm thinking about it in that way, like 60 minutes or less in the heat. I'm not going to bring water, but um, like you can see, I'm drinking right now. Like I'm at altitude all the time. Um, so hydration is, is key. Um, and then like on that run this weekend, I drank 90 ounces and I ran out of water for 80 minutes. And like I could feel that because it was 80 degrees and I went almost an hour and a half without, without drinking anything. And that's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, yeah, I, I think we learned we've started to learn that recently. The more and more people we talk to, the um how important it is to get sodium into yeah. water and stuff like that. And I have definitely overlooked that in the past. Um, but do do you add salt? Like I know some people like will just straight up literally add salt into some of their drinks or whatever. Do you do that, or do you have like a you know something that you use? Yeah, I use Scratch products and salt sticks. So Scratch has their hydration mixes have um like in a serving between 
three and 700 milligrams of sodium and like 20 grams of carbs. So you're getting like some fuel in addition to the electrolytes. Salt stick has like 500 milligrams of sodium. Um, Element is another option. That's like a thousand milligrams. So that's a super salty. Like you can just like put it around, makes like a margarita. And yeah, so that's what I, that's what I add in. In the past, I've done like, like table salt or kosher salt with lemon, like a lemon squeeze to give my own little like Gatorade mix, make my own little Gatorade mix. You can put like a little sugar in there too, make it taste good. Um, but yeah, I, I, I work with scratch. So, um, I, I love their products and their brand based here in Boulder as well. So it's been, uh, it's been fun to work with them and it works. That's awesome. When did you start working with scratch? Uh, this past June. Um, so kicked off the summer with them and they fueled a lot of my, a lot of my running. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, actually speaking of the fact that you working with scratch, we noticed on your bio, um, Puma running's in there. So are you sponsored by, um, Puma? What, what sort of stuff do they do for you? And when did that start? Yeah. So, uh, Puma is a Boston based company that I've, you know, everyone knows them from soccer and f1 even and a couple of two 2001 they they wanted to get back into running and they signed a bunch of their 10 billion dollar brand um but they haven't done much in running recently until 2021 and so they signed a bunch of athletes they've got a lot of really awesome awesome athletes and so earlier this year i connected with them around the boston marathon and so we did um i hosted a panel for them of their athletes who are racing Boston for the, for the, their like company kickoff to marathon weekend. And then uh, Laura Green and I hosted a shakeout on Saturday. And then Jenny Simpson was a part of a shakeout on Sunday. Um, And then, so that was like a, they sponsored the podcast and that was like a three month thing. And then that rolled into, um, I had been doing uh, 5K time trials here in Boulder ahead of Boulder Boulder 10K. And I asked them for a pair of fast shoes. And they're like, okay, like how fast are we talking? I was like, as fast as legal. And they're like, no, but like, seriously, like what distance? And so I said 5K. So they sent me the shoe that was appropriate for 5K. And they're like, but we also have this shoe called Faster Forward, which is, it's not a track spike, but it's meant for like you can use it on a track and they're like yeah if you were to run like a mile you you would use this shoe so i was like well i've never broken five in the mile maybe you should maybe you can send that shoe and i can i can give that a try so that led into a relationship over the summer where it was all about breaking five in the mile and we sponsored a a race in town called mile high mile and we created a breaking five heat and I had never, I had not run that fast. In 2014, I trained for 5K and I hadn't like run these types of workouts since then. Um, And so when I started doing that, the 459 pace still felt a bit like sprinting in workouts. And that lasted for like three weeks and then it became a bit more accessible. Um, So we go into the race and we had a pacer who is really fit and like 
really strong athlete. He ran 18 miles in the morning at a 6:30 pace. He's like a two oh, two eighteen. <laughs> he's a two eighteen marathoner for reference. My um, and he was like, he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll take an ice bath and go for a walk and then pace. And his watch wasn't working, and he took us out too fast. Um, so our first lap was uh, 69. Oh my goodness! Which was <laughs> too. too too fast yeah um and that was a waterfall start so it was 409 um not 400 so anyway i crashed and burned ran 522 um but i ran five flat the next week um in boston but long story short been working with puma for a while we do these like event-based partnerships they also sponsor the podcast um and then i'm but it's not like announced yet but i'm working with them at tre um for uh, it's the running event it's like a running industry meetup in austin texas in november um and i'm hosting a panel for them with a couple athletes out there so we'll have like three different engagements throughout the year the component with um the mile high mile race is that they sponsored a video project so we create a seven minute video titled why do we do hard things um it's on youtube and we talked through four of the people who ran in the race in addition to jenny simpson about um why do we do hard things and it was a really fun project and i'm grateful that um they supported that uh because my we created an awesome video out of it or at least i think it's awesome <laughs> that that is really cool um and so i guess I don't know. We, we had a guy from our team go out to Boulder over the summer. So he might've been around there. Uh, like, uh, I don't know. He might've been, a, he was, a, he went to a couple of uh, like road races and a couple of track, uh, cool. track meets over there. And uh, so he might've been, a, we might, we yeah. need to ask him. Um, yeah. Ask him but, if he was at a, a track race that um, the lights didn't turn on. So they had cars come on the track. Really? <laughs> what? That's actually pretty cool. That's cool. I've seen videos of yeah. stuff like that in the past. Yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah. It was wild. So the um, the the men and women were shooting for four, breaking four and four thirty, um, at five thousand feet, and I can't imagine running that fast and like not having it be fully lit out. But they said it was pretty cool. They ran like four hundred three and um, like four thirty four. So they didn't they didn't get it. But I have to think that like they lost a couple of seconds. Due to darkness. Yeah, probably. I don't like running in the dark. I don't know about you, but I mean, I really, am against not really. it. Really? Yeah. yeah. I don't. I mean, it makes me think. Like, I mean, I, you know, we all like to know where we're gonna step, and like, even though it's on a yeah. track, it's like it's still like you know, yeah, that the proprioception. Yeah, yeah. Um, but okay, so I mean, you're talking about the podcast, and like, you know, we you do host uh for the long run podcast, and you know, just explain to everyone a little bit like what that is, and like how how did that start for you? Yeah, so for the long run is aimed at exploring the why and understanding what enables people to run long and strong and motivated is my tagline. Um, but it's really just understanding excellence and how do we how do we learn from elite athletes um, and people doing interesting things. And so the podcast started because I was meeting a lot of athletes through my work at Inside Tracker and just like having off the cuff conversations and asking them questions. And at one point I was like, this is like gold and it's, it would be selfish to keep this to myself. And so I just started having these com same conversations, but with a, with a mic in my hand, in our hands instead. Um, 
And that was in January of 2019. And so 280 episodes later, I finally feel like I've like figured it out and I know how to steer the conversation and I know what people are looking for and I know what episodes are going to resonate well and what I want to learn from. And more importantly, I know the types of people that I want to talk to on the podcast. And I never, I never have a list of questions. I just have like topics that I want to cover. And it's led to some really cool conversations, some really cool realizations. And just like, it gives me the ability to have like a meta analysis of excellence. And I talk to these people who have won Olympic gold medals and they've started companies and they've done all these things that like society deems as conventionally successful, which gives them this like implied credibility, whether or not they deserve it. For the most part, they deserve it. But people just like listening to people that they think are cool or like have done something meaningful. Um, And so you look at someone who's like won the New York City Marathon or won gold medal at at the Rio Olympics, and people are just going to trust whatever they say, again, for better or for worse. And so I've gotten to know enough of these people to have conversations with them that I don't think anyone else is having. And I get a lot of feedback of like, oh, you asked me questions that I've never been asked before. And I'm going to share this because it's different than every other podcast I've ever done. And to me, that's, that's valuable. Like there are a lot of podcasts out there that talk about splits and, oh yeah, my peak training looked like this. And some people are interested in that stuff. Um, but I'm more interested in like what what makes you unique in your ability to basically like, okay, 280 episodes in the secret is there's no secret and consistency wins. So how do you how do you fall in love with the process, which is so wildly cliche to say, but how do you fall in love with the process and enjoy the day to day and and enable yourself to like dangle carrots in front of yourself that keep you moving forward but you don't need to hit the carrots in order to keep moving forward and and so my own relationship with running has changed a lot thanks to the podcast and my own measures of success have evolved and like I broke three in the marathon I don't think I would have broke three in the marathon had it not been for what I learned on the podcast and in these conversations um because there are a lot of people out there doing really awesome things. And if helping them tell their story can help other people, like, I don't want to call it like a cheat code, but like uh, helping you to get to a more sustainable approach a little bit faster than if you tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed, and then eventually found it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's I I do completely understand that um because it's like whenever you surround yourself with people that like you know hold their, themselves to like you know higher standard like you're gonna also start doing that and so right. like you know just that it can help pull you up um, yeah yeah I, I completely agree with that why did you guys start this podcast um I mean it's a good question it started remember it was like November of twenty two. Uh, we were like sitting right before we were supposed to go on Thanksgiving break, 
And we were kind of like, one of us, I can't remember which one of us said it. We were kind of like, I've always kind of wanted to do a podcast yeah, like, for so running. He's like a um, sports media major. Yeah. So he's like, you know, he loves like talking about sports and everything. I'm a business major. Uh, so I'm like not too, and like, I'm, it's not the same thing for me, but mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I do like, I mean, I like learning. Like, I mean, this is not my uh, major at all, but, you know, I'm doing it. Um, and I don't know. I think like. It's kind of like what you said, like, I want to talk to some really cool people that are better than me and that, like, have more knowledge than me so that I can learn uh, firsthand. And then also doing that, share it with, like, anyone else that wants it. Yeah, I completely agree because I, well, when we started it, we did one, we had one originally, and we just interviewed anyone and everyone who we thought could be cool or have a cool story. And I think the more we did it, the more we then realized we wanted it to be specifically about running because those were the most we were getting out of the conversations and so we kind of rebranded and changed it to the run happy podcast and like yeah like the last five conversations we've had i've learned more about running in like the last like two months than i have in like a very long time Mm -hmm. so i think that's same sort of thing for me i just I, i enjoy i enjoy learning about the sport and it makes me feel better about it and um you know so i like i i, I want to keep doing it because I, yeah i like talking to people about sports and about running as well yeah. so cool. yeah so yeah kind of in the same boat as you i guess mm-hmm. uh, yeah absolutely yeah but uh i guess like with the podcast what are uh like what's the best advice that you've gotten from or like what's your favorite person that you've interviewed if you if you have a favorite yeah so the last episode i think it's 281 or 282 with zoe rome and tina mir is my favorite and i say favorite and i think it's the most useful we triaged a lot of like real world examples in my life and zoe's life and tina's life and talked through the challenges and and whatnot and those two are super interesting in that they're both really awesome athletes and they're also doing a lot on top of that. So Tina is a retired professional marathoner, now a mom of two um, and podcaster and coach and this and that. Uh, Zoe is editor in chief of Trail Runner. She's got a couple FKTs. She's run 100 mile races. And the two of them wrote a book called Became- Becoming a Sustainable Runner. And so Becoming a sustainable runner, if you know either of them individually, you'd think that the book is about recycling and being vegan, but <laughs> it's it's more way more than than just that. That's like a third of it, but it's more sustainable than like do binary black or white things. And a third of it is related to just like enabling running to be a part of your life and and learning. So it's like the epitome of why I have the podcast to understand sustainability through the lens of running. And that episode will for the, for a while be the one that I refer people to if they've never listened to the podcast, because it's the epitome of why I have it. And we recorded it in Leadville, Colorado. We did it on video as well. And the like background is gorgeous and the, you know, sound quality is perfect. And just like everything that I love about the medium being it, like, I really love the in-person and the first 50 episodes I did were in person. And then COVID hit, um, I did like 150 virtual. And then I started doing in-person again. And now I have a studio, um, in my house where 
people come to me and we do podcasts um, because I love to control for the audio quality and like your mics are great. So this is good. And like, this is a really good mic. Um, yeah. And I, I just like really enjoy that aspect of it. So when, when I have that, like able to control for video and audio and a quality conversation mixed with like a really awesome conversation. Um, that's, that's my favorite. That is pretty cool. Um, and I have, uh, I did listen to, I, I did not finish it, but I did listen to a little bit of that episode. And yeah, I remember them talking about the sustainable runner and they, they also were like, you know, it does kind of go over a little bit about being a vegan and like, but like it's mainly, or it's, I don't know. It, it was, very interesting and i did like to listen to it so yeah creating i i, I like what you mean about yeah just it's it is fun creating the podcasts as well um, so you guys are doing the whole production yes yeah it's all nice. us i mean yeah, yeah he but basically does a really nice job he does he does make some nice reels now the more and more we do it the the more cool. we're learning to edit and stuff like yeah. that but nice. um, and then he he edits the actual podcast so yeah cool mm-hmm. but yeah i mean I completely understand what you mean. I think that's really cool, and I think actually I'm gonna go. Ahead. I'm gonna go ahead and listen to that episode uh, when we're done here because I have not. Nice. I've not listened to that yet, but I definitely, I definitely will. But um, yeah. Do you, do you edit and do everything for your um podcast, or do you like have an outside person do? So that? I did for the first two years, and then um I started getting sponsors, and then I was like, all right, first thing to go is editing. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> because I. I, it's not my expertise and yeah, I'd rather just let someone else do it faster and pay them to do it. Um, so yeah, at this point with my podcast, all I do is, um, the brand partnership conversations and the conversations with the guests and I upload the files and like every other step of the process is taken care of by somebody else. That's really nice. Yeah, Um, it is really nice. Yeah. How like we, we're not to this point yet. I mean, we've we're only a couple episodes in. Um, but how, how would you get sponsor sponsorships? Like how does that how does that happen? Yeah, so look at all the stuff that you're wearing or eating or buying, and those are all potential partners. Initially it was me doing a lot of outbound. So reaching out to brands if I had a contact at the brand. Or just Instagram DMs and just being like, so the the thing with with advertising or brand partnerships in general is like, it really doesn't matter what you have to offer. It's how what you have to offer can facilitate whatever that brand is looking for. So I assume that a lot of your listeners are going to be collegiate athletes and may be interested in NIL deals and understanding how to bring value to a brand. So I work at Inside Tracker. I see the all the NIL inbound interest of people saying, hey, I'm an NCAA athlete and I think your products are great. I'd love to work with you. Those don't get responded to or they do. It's some you know form response because we get you know 100 of those a week. And so anything you do in the solicitation of sponsorship has to show value right from the jump. You have to understand that you know what the brand is looking for or that you're interested in knowing what the brand is looking for. Because five years ago, it was novel to have a podcast or a social following. At this point, 
everyone has a podcast and a social following or a lot of people have a podcast or a social following. So you have to, you have to differentiate yourself right off the bat and, and get, get, give yourself the opportunity to have the conversation. So what that looks like is understanding, is this brand interested in reaching other collegiate athletes or is this brand interested in reaching women who are 40 years old? And so those are two very different audiences. And if you have something that, so like my podcast audience is mid thirties and basically mimics golf in terms of demographic. So car brands are interesting. Could a car brand sponsor your podcast if they're mostly uh, uh, collegiate athletes? Probably not. Um, that's not a good use of their time or money, but but there, there are brands that would work for your podcast that are probably not a fit for mine. And so having the knowledge that that you're so like I've done I've done surveys with my audience and I know that 50% of them ride bikes and and 40% of them ski and 25% of them have dogs. So I can go to any brand that plays in that space and say, hey, specialized. Uh, 50% of my audience rides bikes. This is a running podcast, but do you want to reach these people? They trust me, et cetera. Um, obviously, the outreach would be a little less crude than than that. But what I'm highlighting is that I know who they're looking for. I have who they're looking to connect with. And I, I'm curious to connect with them. And so something like your podcast, again, something that is useful for college athletes or college students or um, what's the like Chegg, the book rental, like something like that would be really interesting and totally unrelated to running, but probably really relevant to 80% of your audience. Um, and so that's how I would go after it versus, oh, this is a running podcast. I got I to gotta get Nike to sponsor it or Tracksmith or something like that. But, mm -hmm. but like with Tracksmith, that's not a good example because the price point of their product is not ideal for college athletes unless you're at a Princeton or, you know, something like yeah, that, that's true. which is their vibe. So, so that's, a, that's the perfect thing. A Princeton, a Yale, et cetera. One of the Ivies. Anyway, I think you get what I'm saying. That is, yeah, yeah. That, that is, I'm not going to lie. That was a great answer. Like that was, uh, I was not going to, I was not expecting to get that much. I'm so happy we asked that. <laughs> yeah. That was, I mean, yeah, not just for us, but for anyone listening. Yeah, that is that is a really good take on that. I'm so happy we. Asked yeah, that now. yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, that these but are that, these are the reasons we do this podcast. Yeah. Uh, answers like that, information like that. Yeah. Totally, and um, but that's the thing. Like that, these are blind spots that people don't have, and they're like, "Oh, this is a running podcast. Uh, Adidas should sponsor it." Well, like that's not going to work because Adidas is a billion dollar brand and neither of our podcasts combined times a hundred would be interesting enough to, to move the needle. Like I'm, I'm working on, or I was working on a, a pitch for fidelity and fidelity. Well, this is actually interesting because fidelity is looking to connect with young investors, 18 to 35 years old. Um, and so I was speaking with them about like, getting together seven podcasters to reach X number of impressions at X price. It's a challenge because non-running brands don't 
truly understand the value of the niche. So there's still a lot of work to to do in communicating. Well, it's two million impressions, but it's not the same as two million two million impressions that watched your Super Bowl ad. It's like totally different, but that's how big brands buy media. Fast forward twelve months, that's a different that's a different story. But right now, it's those smaller brands that are looking to connect with that exact audience. That's where I'd go. And again whether it's a podcast or your Instagram as an NIL athlete uh, or someone who's looking for, for those types of partnerships, like that's how I would, how I would think about it. I love it. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> well, I guess like moving away from the podcast part um, I, and I guess we will uh, start, you know, wrapping up here, but what is like for someone that's just wanting to start running right now, what is like some of the best advice that you'd give them to like, just, keep them running and, you know, help them with the start of their journey. Yeah. Just get out the door and commit to two minutes. This whole, like just run a mile, like a mile is far if you've never run a mile before and it's incredibly daunting. And sometimes a mile is far, even if you've run 10,000 miles in your life, particularly if you're running at a mile pace. (laughs) So I would, I would focus on like small goals that are like, they seem so small that they're silly and get used to feel the feeling of checking that box. So like week one, go, go out three times for one minute run, one minute walk times five and, and do 10 minutes of, of that. And week two, two minutes of running, one minute of walking week three, three minutes and one minute week four, five minutes of running, like, like a comically, short progression like that so that you can get your body and joints used to it and then mentally it's much easier to understand like one minute versus one mile and if you run walk for 15 minutes that's 15 minutes more than you were previously doing Um, so that's a win and then gradually enjoy your plunge off the deep end because it's inevitable yeah. Yes, it is. And what you said about a mile being long, sometimes at the end of a run, yeah. a mile is the longest thing in the entire world. Yep. Yep. Mm, yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, I mean, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, we, I mean, this has been a really good conversation for me and I'm, I hope you enjoyed it as well. But yeah, yeah. this is, um, this, this has been, uh, the Run Happy podcast. Thank you so much, you, Mr. Levitt, for sitting down with us. And so we will catch everyone next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to like and subscribe, and we'll catch you all next week.